Welcome to Playing With Fire, the podcast for people who are ready to custom build their love. We're talking about non-monogamy, however you design it, as an individuation opportunity. Want to leave the default and make your life spectacularly you? You're in the right place. Hi. (laughs) Right away you start off bad. No, Um, I'm teasing. You didn't start off bad. Um, But it is funny to me when you don't know how the computer works. Like you're Ken. Your job is computer. Yes, that's true. That's true. You're Ken. The thing is, I know how the computer works at a level that is of no use in everyday life other than they're very friendly to me. They are. I mean, oftentimes I call you over to fix something because your proximity to the mm-hmm. computer appears to fix the things. That's offensive. It's been like that for 30 years. That's because you're about a thousand years old. Yeah, it's only been like that for 30 <laughs> years. Um, we're gonna we have a fantastic guest today. Oh, so so good. So good. Um, let's talk about everything. So we have Rachel That's... Wright today, the magnificent Rachel Wright. So we're going to talk about everything because when I talk to Rachel, we talk about everything. And once we started talking, we kept talking. Right. So we were talking about like all the stuff. For one thing, um, Rachel is one of the few people I know who lives her whole like who at who works as a therapist and also like lives po- her life pretty publicly as a polyamorous person. She's That's a- not I like I do that. Um, uh, and it's not that common. So that was pretty cool just to talk about that. That was she's just out there being a whole person with all her. Right. Which also reminds me how valuable it is to me for any of us to show up transparently. Yes. You know, like mm-hmm. you and I have the privilege or we have been exercising the privilege of being out, right? We are right. out about our, um, our orientations, respective orientations about our um, relationship structure, but we're also out quite a lot about our politics, about our religious belief. We are out. We are pretty vocal. And I feel the privilege in that. And I also feel this camaraderie, this compassion for other people who are doing that because it's it's hard. Yeah, it's hard it comes at a... Cost in in this cultural culture of um, often black and white thinking, black and white buckets to be in. Yeah, literally, with all the racism in this country. Yeah. Right. So, right. Um, I think that it's important though to talk about transparency and non-monogamy because somebody recently said that I was a cautionary tale, and I I agree that we. So what they were talking about is that. When I came out as non-monogamous, I lost a lot of friends. I lost a lot of really uh, people who I thought were really good friends. I thought they were. Um, People who had attended the births of my children, people who were um, legally like my children's guardians and like, yeah, and I lost them. And that's true. And so, you know, I was sharing part of this story because they were talking about the fact that they are socially monogamous. In other words, they present to the world that a picture of monogamy, but behind the scenes, they practice non-monogamy. 
And this actually is, this is a lot of people that I, this is a lot of people I date. This is a lot of people I work with. And I'm not here to tell you, you should be out. It's not, this isn't about should, but there's something, there's something about this. I, so when I was told I was a cautionary tale because I'd lost friends, what that brought up for me was all these feelings of like, right, that's only true one, because other people acted well, really shitty. That that's that's the bottom line. There was no reason for other people to ostracize my children from their events because I was polyamorous. There was no reason. There was no reason we couldn't have had reasonable conversations about what was going on, and and that's not the path they chose. And no amount of my hiding was going to make them better people. Right. So I could have hid this. So the because the flip side of this, if that if my story is a cautionary tale, then the flip side of this is you should hide so that what other people don't have to be uncomfortable by the reality of your life, or so that um other people don't have to confront the moral strictures we put on relationships. No. no. So I'm not for that. And if you're making that choice, you get to. And there are real ramifications. It is true that you could be facing discrimination. You could be facing challenges in custody battles. There are a million reasons why you might want to be um, not out about your non-monogamy. And I don't want to tell you that you shouldn't, but I, I also don't want to pretend like it is It's nobody's, it's nobody's right to get to mistreat you when you do come out. And the more of us who are in a position to emotionally caretake for ourselves yeah. and each other, mm-hmm. uh, well, the more of us who come out, the more reasonable it will be to be out about this. So we, you know, we've stated the the numbers before, and these numbers are underreported. Of course, they are because this is a marginalized population. So these numbers are underreported. Five percent of people in North America are practicing non-monogamy, and twenty percent have tried it at some point. So, look around your town and think about what that means for the numbers around you. We were just at Tanglewood. We were at Tanglewood huh, yeah, seeing right. John Legend and and we were there and they 18, said they, they sold 18,000 tickets. So how many people in that crowd would that translate to? 5% of 18,000 is 800. That is not a small number of people yep. sitting out there in that audience. Some of them swingers, some of them. No, I'm sorry, nine. It's nine. Okay. So that's like not. Almost a thousand people in that. Right. Um, statistically. Statistically speaking. Also, that was a privileged, um, uh, uh, liberal state living, you know, crowd in general, right? Going to see John. Oh. There's a whole bunch of qualifiers oh, for going that to group. See John Legend. So also going to listen to some seriously monogamous romantic music. True. So, yep. you know, maybe that's unbalanced. But my point is that the more of us who have the privilege to be out and who can the easier it will be for all of us to just be honest about our relationship structures. And, and so, so that's worth it. How lovely to have had a conversation with someone yeah, in that position, holding that role in, yeah. Um, and in the world. And Rachel's just brilliant. So let's get into it. Let's just introduce the yep. lovely Rachel. Yeah, Rachel Wright is a licensed marriage and family therapist. 
she's a distinguished psychotherapist. She's renowned. She's an expert in modern relationships, mental health, sex. Her mission is to help people live happier, healthier lives by providing insights and practical advice in a relatable, engaging way, which you are just about to hear because Rachel yes. is relatable and, and really Rachel is engaging. Yep. Her message has resonated with audiences on stages across the globe, as well as on her podcast, The Right Conversations. W-R-I-G-H-T. Yeah, come on. That's great. The Right Conversations is a podcast about sex, relationships, and mental health. Rachel's also been featured in numerous media outlets, including New York Times, Women's Health, Cosmopolitan, NBC News Radio, and more. This is a great conversation. Just settle in. It's like the chat you didn't know you needed to listen to. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us on Play With Fire. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have a conversation with you because you and I have spoken before. We've and when I was on your podcast, the conversation turned into one of those like, oh, we could talk about all the things. <laughs> mm-hmm. All the things. So I was excited to have you here so we can just pick up and keep talking about all the things. I love it. Those are my favorite podcast. I mean, I, this may sound obvious, but like when there's a rapport on and off air, quote unquote, and you can just talk, I, I think that, and that's part of why I need my, my podcast, the right conversations is because like, I think that conversations are so much more interesting to listen in on versus just this kind of like talk show interview, like media tour type style interview. People like relationships. They don't know that all the time, but they do. They're attractive. Yeah. You didn't know that. I didn't for know many, that. For many, many years. Ken tried to opt out of the idea of being a human for like, <laughs> he, he was trying to go full Spock. So, yeah, you know. How'd the beginning of our relationship go? Oh, that did not work very yeah, well. It's, it's, it's mm. to be a human in relationship with him. humans. I had to convert him back to full human status. Yeah. 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 Effort. yeah. I'm enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to do sometimes, you know? Yes. And sometimes, you know, it, I mean, you're, you are deep in people's relationships and doing relational work all the time. I, I think that there's, um, there's a time and a place for the investment relationship where you're like, yep, this isn't quite right now. Yeah. Yeah. To put in the effort. And I like, that's where, that's where we started. Investment like, relationship. Yep. It was an investment. On spec. On spec. He was like a, a demo and rebuild project, I joke. <laughs> but so was I. It's just that we both his were was visible. It's true. Yep. His was very visible. Yeah. Yeah. Some of us are more forward presenting with our uh renovation needs. And- I'm stealthy. <laughs> yeah, I'm stealthy. Like I have a nice facade. Yeah, yeah. Same My actually. Is it same exactly. It's like, oh, look at this put together therapist that communicates so well and like knows so much. And then yeah, get in a relationship with me in a few months and you're like, oh, she's just a human. Okay. It's, darn it. Aren't yeah. we just humans? That's true. Yeah. The people I'm dating are going to hear this and and I feel like I'm going to get some texts afterwards. I feel like that's true. <laughs> I, uh, you know, the, the thing is though, you, what I love about you is that you are a real person across every platform I see you on. And Thank you. I appreciate that so much because I think it is an under um, explored opportunity on the part of therapists, especially, but really anybody working in the space of relationships is, can you be a whole person while also maintaining a sense of privacy where you want it, 
Mm-hmm. And and navigating that because you have multiple relationships. You like you you have to navigate other people's privacy needs. So if you're game, I would love to talk about what that's like for you and how how it's been going for you to be a real whole human. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> no, I first of all, I really appreciate that. Um, that reflection means a lot because I I try very, very hard to to be that. And so just to hear that that is coming across and landing, especially on a digital platform um, or multiple platforms is is really wonderful. So thank you. Um, it's easy sometimes and really, really hard other times. Um, you know, as as a therapist in school, there is so much talk around this idea of being a blank slate and not self-disclosing unless it is like incredibly clinically relevant. And what I think is missing from that lesson is the caveat is it's not good to do that in a session with a client, right? right? Like that's their space. That is their container. And sure, when it is appropriate, I will self-disclose. But the the and that isn't discussed is like, and you can be a full person outside of that container and that that might not be for everybody. And that's okay. You know, there, there are clients that walk through my door. I mean, I'm all virtual. So like my virtual door door. Um, (laughs) that are really, really, really happy to know that I'm a human who has dealt with depression, that I'm a human who has navigated panic disorder, that I'm a human that has gone through breakups and a divorce. Um, And then there are other people that are like, I don't want to know anything about my therapist. And I'm like, that's great. And I'm not the person for you. And like, that's okay too. Um, And so something that I've had to unlearn is kind of this pressure and even a little bit of shame that other therapists have put on me or have talked about around me of like, this isn't what therapists do. Uh, We don't share about our own struggles. And to me, that just perpetuates more shame in other people because there's this facade of like, I have all my shit together and, you know, nothing bad happens to me. Or if it does, I'm like some Yoda that can just like, you know, like uh, never easily and fast and basically hover right out of it. Right. And it's like, no, when I broke my foot, I like freaked out and was like yelling at my partners one day. Like, I don't teach that. I don't don't (laughs) encourage people to yell (laughs) at the people that they love, but like there I was, you know, just being kind of nuts for a minute. And like, that's okay. Cause again, we're human. Um, so it's, it's been an interesting journey. And I, I think that kind of where I try to draw my own line is, is this share of service to Mm -hmm. someone. And what I have figured out is that the majority of things are, and there are a few things that just simply aren't. And so one of the kind of personal boundaries that I have set or limits that I've set for myself is I don't talk about my own sexual preferences or any sort of like power dynamics or anything like that publicly. If we run into each other at a party in New York, then like we're both at the party, you right. know, like that yeah. we're, we're both there. Yep. But that's not something that is of service to other people, at least that I have found yet. Yeah. yeah. 
You're not finding um, that you're not centering it and you're not, that's not your, the, where you're spending your energy. And the thing is, I have met other people where that's exactly what they're centering for their own reasons. So I'm hearing yep. you taking really seriously the fact that you know how you want to be of service. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And to me, it is so much more profound to share that I'm a mental health professional that has mental illness and that I'm a relationship professional that has gone through a breakup and divorce and that I am a relationship therapist that teaches communication that sometimes doesn't show up the way that I want to, you know, all of those types of things I have found to be more of service to at least the people who have been in my, my sphere, uh, till this point. Well, I love that. And I've, uh, I've shared in, in my story that one of the, one of the sources of shame in my life has been all the things that didn't get talked about when I was a kid. And all like basically all of them ended up being connected to shame somehow because, yeah. well, nobody's talking about this, but I'm thinking about it. So there must be something wrong with me. Yes. And when I go to talk to somebody, whether it's a professional or not, and I share something that I feel is imperfect in me and they're like, well, I've got none of that. Wow. I'm like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> exactly. So of course, I want to know that the people that I'm relying on are human and can talk to me from that place. So yes. I yeah. Thank you. I mean, in, in my non-monogamy, like 101 part one, like the, the fundamental, this, this workshop that I teach the first 15 minutes is me reading excerpts from my diary in mm. high school Wow. about, and, and I of course didn't have the language of non-monogamy. I didn't have all of the language that I do now, but you can, read these entries and it's like, you know, there's hearts on the eyes. Like you can see that it's like this young person writing it. And it's like, I don't understand why I have to break up with this person. If I want to go make out with this person and like, oh, now I accidentally cheated because I, I thought that I, you know, had to end it and I didn't want to like, it's this grappling with this concept. And I, again, I share it because of exactly what you just said, which is like, I, I want people to be able to learn that some of us experience a lot of things from a very young age. And because we don't talk about it, you know, some of these entries are like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Why, why can all of my friends be in these, what I was calling like committed relationships? Um, and I can't, and mm -hmm. like, I must be a slut. And of course, not in a positive, fun way, in a, in a derogatory way. Right. Um, so yeah, I think there's just such power in being like, hey, let's talk about it so that we we don't internalize the shame from such a young age. I and I can't even imagine how different my experience of my teenage years would have been had I had that experience. Except I have a house full of teenagers who now have been raised, you know, they're 16 to 23 now, and they were raised with this as a as a normal fact of life. And I still notice how mm. Because the larger culture is still holding monogamy as the standard, the gold standard, the norm, the water they swim in, we're still dealing with the fact that like they normalize that. And so they have to, they have to recenter the cell them, themselves every time somebody shames yep. them about their parents being polyamorous. It's not even, yeah. not, that's not even their personal stuff. And yeah, so it's, it's like, like the, the layers of shame we can peel back off are both individual and collective, the way that we can talk about this differently and say, 
Cause sometimes I'll say to my, my friends who are my age and who have kids, like, remember when you accidentally promote monogamy, you, you know, <laughs> you might not want to throw your us under the bus. And, and that just, just hearing that and having some of my friends say, oh, I didn't even realize that I was putting relationships into a hierarchy that mm-hmm. placed monogamy as this perfection and the ideal. And I didn't realize what that would mean for these real live people who I care about and I love and who I know um, do relationships differently from me, but they're still not yeah. like not grappling with it the way we're talking about. Yeah. Exactly. It is such an interesting social experiment. So as you described, our kids have been raised in an environment with a non-traditional relationship structure, structures. Yeah. Traditional, just not pretty white Um, cis heteropatriarchal. Traditional, yeah, that's the wrong word, right? (laughs) Just now. um, But there they are. Like you said, they just, they, they're, they've been like reoriented by the culture constant like it's a movies stories you know books Mm -hmm. tv video games like everything there's so much out there that promotes the um the idea of monogamy as the ideal yeah i mean even reality tv right right right? like oh yeah i talk about this with the bachelor all the time I, i you know i've watched that that franchise for decades like years i mean it's been on almost my entire life <laughs> what i didn't know you self-harmed that way i know i know right yeah it's it's really it's like it's one of these we could that could be a whole podcast episode, episode all by itself yeah the, the, the shows that we watch that harm us <laughs> truly truly and i find that show in particular really fascinating because every every season the lead is baffled at the fact that they fall in love Yes. with more than one person. Yes. And yet the goal or like winning and for anyone who can't see me I'm using big air quotes uh that show is to pick one. Yeah. And it's like during this process all of these people especially the contestant the contestants whatever contestants are saying things like you know I- I'm just it's like it's really hard to watch this person that I'm dating, like go out with someone else, but like I'm adjusting and like, we're watching them like learn how to cope through discomfort and jealousy and all of these things. And that's actually like quite beautiful. Yeah. And yet at the end they're like, and now pick one. And I'm just waiting for like one season them to be like, what if it's an and? Yeah. Like, like what if, what if, like, what if I just don't pick and we do something different? Okay. We've gotten to this point, you know, we're just going to stop. And like, I really, I've narrowed it down to these two or these three. And, you know, they, again, they always say like, I get something different. I I feel differently in each of these relationships. And again, like these really beautiful kind of lessons that could be taken. And, and yet they're like, well, I have to sacrifice this thing to then center monogamy. And it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting to watch. Yeah. And I, I think that there's, so I'm often working with people. Well, we are. Um, so Ken and I have groups that we're leading right now. And if they're my groups and Ken's been in them and now he's in them long enough that I watch us participating. We're, we're noticing how many people are, they're really struggling with the layers of, well, okay, I I feel how my heart has opened to multiplicity. I feel how my 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 body wants to enjoy multiplicity. Often that's the first entry, but, mm-hmm. but then- 
the social piece. So frequently we're seeing people, I see people in my groups, but I also see people I'm dating like right now who are like, oh yeah, but socially we are 100% monogamous and we are going to keep it that way. And they're very protective. And I like, I will honor that. Absolutely. I want to honor the fact that that's your choice and recognize why, like, why do we do that? And what are we collectively doing with each other that is again, like prioritizing, centering, and privileging this, this monogamous structure. I mean, the state privileges it with, with tax. And then we also privilege it ourselves when we imagine that the people around us won't or can't deal with it or understand it. But then like, Mm -hmm. now we're talking about, I, I can think of literally hundreds of people I know who are in that spot where they're like, yeah, but socially we're going to maintain monogamy. I'm like, but you're yeah. not monogamous. And they're like, right. yes, I'm not. But socially. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, uh, okay, I hear you. And 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 I will be with that, that, that pain. I I I interpret it as pain, this like mm-hmm. being torn with like, I want to present one way because it feels safe. And mm-hmm. also my heart, my body, my mind want this other thing. Yeah. And I, I, I love what you said about honoring it too, and, and understanding the why behind it, because I do think that there are some places in the world, in our country, some, um, you know, uh, careers that like, it is unsafe, like more objectively than perception unsafe to be out in whatever way out means to you. And, you know, I, I've been seeing someone for almost a year and a half now. And, um, this person is married and has, has been with, you know, their partner for a very long time. And the world that they work in isn't super accepting of non-monogamy. And so there are agreements that they have that of course I respect and, you know, follow and have consented to. Um, but like if we're in certain neighborhoods in the city, uh, we have to present as two friends out to dinner. There's yeah. no, you know, canoodling. There's no kissing. I'm in that same there's position. No... Yep. I'm in the exact same position right now with somebody I care about a lot. And I'm like, it's fine. And and there's tension there around like, oh, yeah. oh, it's like comes at a cost for me as well. Yep. And it's a cost I've accepted and I embrace. Yep. And yeah, exactly. And I, I know totally. And I know for me, like understanding the why and understanding that it's a very conscious choice on their part. It's not just, right. um, you know, this like kind of unprocessed shame of, we just don't want to even go there or we don't want any of our friends to know, you know, as people find out, they don't deny it to anyone. Um, but they're also not willing to kind of make this like public display. Um, and so for me, that's given my heart more peace, even in those moments of, Oh, this sucks. I want to kiss you. Like we were out to dinner and I know you, and we've been dating for this long and I want to be able to just be, and I've worked so hard in my life to be able to just be, um, and again, like understanding that not everybody has that privilege, has that ability and, and can do that. And, and, knowing the why behind it is so helpful because I would never, um, I would never prioritize 
my own desire to give someone a kiss at dinner right. over, over someone's career. Right. Or their, or their, even their felt sense of safety. And that's where I find yes. I'm actually wrestling is someone is, they're still often they're still in their, what I think of as their experimental phase. They're still figuring mm-hmm. out what this is for them. That can last years. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think a lot of times people imagine it will last for a few weeks or maybe a few mm-hmm. months. And I'm like, my programs start at a year long for a reason, because that's the minimum. I see people make that transition and often it's yeah, six, seven, eight years before somebody totally understands who they are having shed the monogamous enculturation and having actually actively chosen how they want to be in their world. And in the meantime, dealing with the fact that, yeah, we wind up with, it's, it doesn't even just have to be work. I mean, what if you have in-laws who are going yeah. to like shame your children or like right. I'm a million ways. I, I mean, I am a cautionary tale myself. I was my mm. first husband sued for custody of my kids. Um, when I originally came out and, and joined in a, a triadic configuration and it didn't work, everything worked out, but like, that was the fear. So yeah, I take it super seriously. I understand how like it brings you to your knees yeah. in fear. It's not yeah. small either. Yeah. And I think it's easy That's to make it about me. us, right? <laughs> like on the other side of it, like, oh, they, they don't want to be seen with me or they're ashamed of me. And, and it's, it can be very easy to go to that place because we are so ego driven in in our own selves. And so I think it's so important to take a step back and have that empathy and and understanding for somebody else's experience. Right. You know, Rachel, that's, it's making me think I, there's another topic that's been on my mind a ton and it's coming up with lots of my clients. And I think that you have enormous amounts of experience with this topic. So I'm curious what you, what you think about this. I, there's a, I, I have called this particular skill set, um, hinge skills. I, I know it's called different stuff across different platforms, but when we're talking about someone, uh, both of us are in this position, we're in committed relationships and we're also dating. And, you know, so that puts us in that hinge position and I am seeing an immense amount of struggle. And oftentimes the struggle is, it feels like a huge challenge because there are these huge differences. And I think we're talking about that when we say like, well, one person may not feel safe because of work and another person might feel like it's safer to be out. And another person might feel like they're still experimenting and and we have all these differences. And then we have the hinge point, the person who is relating to these multiple people. And I'm just noticing immense amounts of um, challenge and pain in, in really working with ourselves. I don't even have a question so much as I really wanted to talk about hinging with you because I know that you have really, you've been through it for real. Yeah. For um, so uh, yeah. What does that bring up for you? You know, the first thing I thought of when you said that is our brain and our society wants us so badly to think in black and white terms. Mm. And so badly to think in or terms versus and terms. And I think that being in that position can create so many ands that depending on where we are in our journey, in our capacity to hold all of those things at once, and some of them being 
supportive of each other and others being quite contradictory or or opposite, our, our ability to hold that can really impact our anxiety, our capacity to show up through it and even be able to name it, mm. you know, and, and say, I'm feeling this and I'm this to this person and I'm this to that person. And that means I'm also this to that person, like all, all of the different ands and both logistically and emotionally. Um, and I, th- I think that that's a hard concept for people. I mean, I don't, I don't think that I know that I know right. that it's a hard concept and you know, it's, it's even hard when it's something as quote unquote simple as like feeling happy and sad. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Just as simple as that. Like it kind yeah. of breaks our brains and it, yeah. it, it literally causes some, some neurological dissonance and yes. then, and then we get into the actual metaphor of it and we don't have great stories about what it is to be right. not monolithic. Not like yeah. you're supposed to present as one thing. You're supposed to have a handle on yeah. things. And if you do, then you'll have a defined, clear answer. And I don't think that there's anybody in the hinge position in any relating that isn't experiencing both dissonance and desire to say the yes and. And there are <laughs> mutual exclusivities. You know, I, I, if I have one partner who is insisting on parallel connection and mm. another partner who's, who genuinely does not want that and is, is feeling like that is actively detrimental to them and they would like to know their metamor so they feel that sense of safety of like, I know who this person is. I know they put their pants on one leg at a time. Like, okay, we're real people. Now, what do I do? Like, like literally. And I, so I get this question, I think, oh, it's so complicated because those aren't even the two factors. There's also, do you, do, do I, as the hinge, do I even right. know what I want or, or do I find myself pulled? And so when I'm with the person who wants parallel, I feel like I want more parallel. Mm. When I'm with the person who wants kitchen table or garden party, do I feel like I want more of that? And I'm losing my own sense of, of connection to self because I'm pulled by the <laughs> this is so funny because she's talking about me <laughs> <laughs> not talking about you i am also talking about 17 you're not other only people talking like about me he's like no it is all that is all about me that was me that was me not to do it well and, we actually lived all together so three of us lived together mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and his wife at the time wanted parallel but we lived together that's yeah like, that like that's um, turning the level up to 11 like that's really, really hard it was it was so intense I had no idea like life could be that hard but I don't think that's what most people are most people are struggling with more there is a division there's a sort of natural division of like where you see these people who you live with mm-hmm. and how, like how do you ground into what you actually want Yeah. And I, I know that in, in that experience and other experiences I've had, the struggle was to remain all of me in all of the contexts, uh, all of me with you, all of me with her. Um, but I didn't, I really just didn't. (laughs) And I just, um, I filtered. And so you got what I thought you wanted and she got Mm. what I thought she wanted. And some of it was literally a filter on who I was. And then some of it was manufactured Right. Like Not just, it was a facade, a built, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, I've been, I've been 
learning everything I can about not living that way. We started off this episode talking about your presence as a whole person across all of the the places that you present yourself. And I I do have a question, which is, how does that go for you in your multiple relationships? Mm. Um, mixed. Uh, you know, I... Man, there are so many ways to answer this. So I think that one of the really interesting things are the assumptions that some people have coming into meeting me. Um, because A, there's this weird kind of parasocial thing that happens where because I'm so open and honest and do show up as, you know, as, as much as my full self as I possibly can through a social platform, people assume that they know me. And mm. the truth is, is that they they do to a certain extent, right? Like I'm not BSing things online and I'm not using filters every time I post, like they, they do know me. They do know what I look like. They know so much about me, but they don't know me in relationship. And they don't know me when I had too much to drink on accident. They don't know me when I am a week out from my period. They don't, right? Like they, they don't know all of these different types of things. And so I think that some people can have um, unconscious assumptions about me that I either live up to or don't. Mm -hmm. And that can feel uh, challenging and, and sad sometimes. Um, the, the other interesting piece <laughs> is that some people will make the assumption that I am public about all of the people that I'm dating. Yes. So I have heard things like, you know, I'll match with someone on field and they'll say, um, oh, I, I follow you on Instagram. Uh, I would love to take you out, but I am not interested in being on your Instagram. Right. So <laughs> therefore I don't want to go out. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. okay. First of all, what like so many assumptions here and it you know what like a conversation we could have a conversation about it plus you're not posting things like you're not including people in your public life who have you have not gotten consent from but that brings up the fact that most people have not recognized how deeply we've had to center consent in our lives and they haven't had to do that often especially like the longer you've been monogamous the less you've had to practice explicit and you start relying on all that implicit I know how they would kind of feel about this. So they just don't have the practice you have. Yeah. But that also like buzzkill for the dating life. Yeah. I'm (laughs) like, oh, and you know, the, the other way that that shows up is like, I've had the experience of people approaching me in social situations and the, the way that they are coming up to me is, and, and I say this with zero ego and and only objectivity because I I don't understand it, but they come up to me like I am freaking Beyonce <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, like they're, they're like nervous and excited and I, I don't see myself that way. 
mm-hmm. at all. I'm like, I am literally a human being who happens to be a therapist, who happens to be an educator, who like teaches stuff online. Yeah. That That's it. Like but to this, change people's lives. Yeah. Like that's word. it. Like I, I'm not and, trying to like yeah. be famous here. So like when I'm approached in this way of like coyness and, um, almost like a, an inherent power differential. Yep. Mm-hmm. I struggle with that because I don't want that in my relationships. And so I struggle to name that with someone without sounding egotistical, without, I mean, yep. um, you know, wanting to call them out. Like, I, who am I to say, like, don't be shy? Like, what, you know, don't be excited. Like, of course I want them to, to feel whatever they're feeling, but it's a very hard position for me because I don't, I don't want someone to want to date me because they want to pick my brain. And I don't want someone to want to date me because they think that I'm some like social media influencer like that that's not like that's not the move that's not yeah it. and those are not reasons why I want to be in relationship with someone and and so it's interesting because you put all of those things together and it's like you have someone who may think that they know all of me who feels shy and a little bit intimidated and also is like afraid that I'm gonna like put them on my Instagram story the mm-hmm. first time we get coffee right and <laughs> like that, that creates a little bit of a, of a barrier. Um, and so I've had to add like on all of my dating profiles, it says if we have either met before, or you know me from Instagram, please tell me when you first write me. Just let me know. Heads up. Like, because too many times it came out like too far into conversation and, and I felt deceived because yeah. I'm talking to someone that I don't know and I I don't even have their Instagram handle right. they're, or they're their like phone his, number. Yeah, they're like yeah. opaque. I definitely feel that. I'm like, I don't know. Like there are hundreds and hundreds of hours of my deep conversation. Like I, I bear all, especially on this podcast. I like, I say everything and it's just sitting there. Mm-hmm. And so it's a one-way mirror effect that- yeah. I, I like, I just want to know. It doesn't mean that I won't interact. I just want to know yep. so that I can be like, oh, how does this, how does this influence the power that already exists in our relationship? Because we're all in power relationships all the time. That's just exactly. We we're like, exactly. And yeah. then it's not odd if they say something like, you know, oh, how are things going with your breakup? Right. Right. Or like if they've already named that, then it's like, oh, thank you so much for asking. And, and like, it doesn't feel weird. But if they say that three days in a conversation and it wasn't named that they know mm. me outside of field, I'm like, that was not in my field profile. Right. So where'd we learn that info? <laughs> like, right. What's going on? Um. So, yeah, so that that has made it harder. But there's definitely some benefit to it, Um. which is like. There are some things about myself that I think some people aren't interested in, you know? And so if, if someone doesn't want to be with a big kid who loves theater and like, you know, is non-monogamous and like talks about their depression online, then like, cool, we know that right out the gate and we don't have to perhaps wait a month to, to figure those things out. Um, So it's definitely two sides to the coin for sure. Like having a really transparent 
like personality does also, it invites a depth of connection faster than it might otherwise. And I think like just to circle back to hinging, like that is one of the, the things that I see people struggle with the most. Like one person values privacy for mm-hmm. as a safety mechanism. The other person values transparency as a safety mechanism. Mm-hmm. And so by like removing any value judgments about whether, or as much as we can as humans, mo- removing the value judgment about which is better. Yep. Yeah. Now you've got these two different ways of being in the world. Um, or Jake Ernst would talk about like roots to safety, right? Like you're going to use your route to safety differently. Okay. So what do, what do we do as the hinge? How do I navigate these extraordinarily different ways of finding safety in the world. Yeah. And it's, it's hard. I I mean, I've dealt with that. My, my partner, Ashley is far more of a private person than I am Mm -hmm. just in general and exactly what you're saying. She finds safety in that privacy. I had a bit of a traumatic event as a younger person where a bunch of my very deep, darkest thoughts uh, became known to people that were not supposed to know about Mm -hmm. them. And so one of the ways that I have healed from that is finding safety in sharing. And I'm not going to have someone come just find it out and then share with the world. I'll share it with the world. Me too. And so (laughs) very, very different from somebody who's privacy and feels really genuinely fed by that. Yes. Yes. And so figuring that out over the course of our relationship has been a a beautiful process. And I I feel very grateful that, you know, she and I both have been able to find agreements and compromises and, and middle grounds. And, you know, I have gotten a little bit more pulled back on sharing certain things when it comes to to her specifically. She's become more comfortable sharing more things about herself and we've both grown in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that a lot of people will show up to relationship feeling very stuck in whatever that is. And it's like, I will not budge from this at all. Well, that's why I use the word safety, because I think I hear people in my practice use that word. And once once they've attached it to the idea, this is how I find safety, they they often get kind of fixed in like, so I get to have it. I have to have it. And I will mm-hmm. not I will not compromise. I will not uh, adapt. Yeah. And that to me is such a it's such a magnificent way to block ourselves from growth in relationship. Right? Like from yeah, being that's... changed by relating to multiple people in particular, like if I have a metamor who really loves privacy and I have had this before, then I really have to wrestle with my stuff. And that's deep work for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily have to love their way of being, but if I'm willing to look at, so why am I showing up so transparently? Like, why am I almost to the point of being like showy? Why am I out there? What What is that? What is that feeding in me? Like, what is that? What can that teach me about myself? But I'm seeing people like lock into that idea of, but this is how I'm, I stay safe. And so I get to stay safe all the time. And something that um, I haven't talked about at all is, okay, yep, this is my route to safety. Do you want to learn another one? Might be good to have multiple. Right. And then, um, and, and that they can change over time. Cause I think, um, I think mine have. Yeah. You use mm. privacy. For privacy was, it felt like a. Ordering on secrecy. Yep. And mm. when 
uh, we'll be talking in a podcast and it'll be over and you'll be like, oh, I'm so, so happy you shared that. I'm like, that was because it felt good. Like that wasn't like a stretch that was, ah, right. Didn't used to feel like that. Now it does. These things change. So patience Patience with the fact that that's taken years to Mm -hmm. to shift that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something that like, I think can be really helpful when looking at this stuff is like, okay, this behavior has helped me feel safe in the past. Does that mean it's the most effective behavior for uh-huh. what I want outside of that safety or perceived mm-hmm. safety? Okay, and- everybody can pause and go back and listen to that sentence again. Because <laughs> seriously, so what I heard you say is this behavior created safety for me in the past. I found safety in it. Mm-hmm. And is that be- is this behavior going to continue to support my my growth, my my safety as I move forward, especially if I'm making new decisions, if I want to shift my relational paradigm, perhaps if I want. Yeah. Right. Like anxiety may tell us that we will be more safe if we stay at home under our covers. And that may be the right decision some of the times. Yep. But is that the most effective decision every single time for the bigger picture of the life that we want? probably not. Yeah. And so sometimes we do have to make choices that, that feel counter to that safety because that safety is coming from this neural pathway that has just been driven on so many times that it's like, this is my way to safety. And, you know, if we drive the same way to work every day and it's like, why why would I change that? I know how to get there. And it's like, well, there's this beautiful garden that you might drive by if you take the other highway and you could see a flower you've never seen before, or you may see a new restaurant opening that you then go eat at. Like there's, it can be hard to choose the other thing. And I'm certainly not saying that in every situation we need to, um, but looking at it and asking like, could I do this differently one time? What would happen? How would that feel? And, and almost using it as like an experiment with ourselves of like, okay, my safety brain is telling me to do this, this one time I'm going to pick this opposite thing. And I want to see how, how it goes. And if I hate it, never have to do it again. Right. Right. And, and there's then the reality that if I hate it, um, I, I mean, I'm a Jungian. I can't help it. Like I, I now have so much that I could dive into. Like, why? Like, what is it reminding mm-hmm. me of? What's it bringing up? Like, what is this thing that I have so decided to push away? Because right, like what, whatever you got there, there's shadow material. You are, it's, mm-hmm. it's currently, it has been invisible and in the unconscious so long, but you just made it visible. So whatever you learned, right? Like there's some juicy little morsel in there that could be worked, which doesn't mean you have to keep doing the thing. I'm thinking about, you know, an example of, do I want to even meet my metamorphs? Do I just Mm. want to even meet them? And simply trying once and saying, okay, I hated it. Okay, well, I mean, we could get into a whole bunch of stuff about what did you hate about it? You know, what was the scenario? Was like, did you pick a place where you felt safe? Did you, did you choose a time when you felt well-regulated? Did you choose a time when you were super PMSing? Like what, we right, right. the practical stuff. Yep. And did when you met that metamorph, 
what what's what's up? Is the is your relationship feeling relatively secure right now? Is it not? Uh, did you feel like you were put on the spot? Did you feel like you were able to show up as your full self, or did you actually go and and still hide? the whole time. Cause I see that happen quite a lot. I showed up, but I hid, I either hid behind a persona, like somebody I thought they needed to see, or I just showed up and I was actually silent. I was at the party, but I never really interacted. And so I stayed in that anxiety brain the whole time. And I just sort of white knuckled it through, but none of these things tell me the totality of what it will be to meet yeah. different metamors over different time periods. Right. And so like cataloging, like you did some data collection, but you did mm-hmm. some data collection some. in one small yeah. experiment and, and seeing what else you could tweak and what you could get out of it. Yeah. Roots to safety is filled with the potential to learn stuff. You, you mentioned like, yeah, so you, you drive over that same pathway and that feels safe. Okay, great. What if you move? Right. Not the path to safety <laughs> anymore. The context just changed. Right. And that route yep. to safety was built when the context was a certain thing. Route to safety used to be crawl to mom. Right. I guarantee you that's not going to work for me anymore. <laughs> I have right. some new roots because everything changed. Yeah. And when little things change, they can be really important little things that all of a sudden make things different. Go meet a metamorph. Um, I didn't like that. Okay. But there are so many things that could change for next time. And um, And the other thing is, yeah, I didn't like that. And now I feel safer. Oh, crap. Mm. <laughs> I didn't like that route to safety, yep. but it worked. Oh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Right. Such, yeah. such a good point. And to continue on, on your analogy of like, what if you move is when we're constantly only using the same routes to safety, if those go away for whatever reason, right. We're then in a panic, like there's no other. And so we have to, and I don't use that term very often, but like we, we truly have to have this like bigger toolkit of things that can help us feel safe. And it, it can't just be things that I avoid and like things that I I don't do. Like it's because again, is that effective to the life that you want to have? And like, is that an effective choice towards the life that you want to have? And, and why, where did you learn this idea that like the, the route to safety is avoidance of things that could create discomfort and is discomfort Mm -hmm. the same as safety? Like there's, oh, there's just so much to, to unpack there. There's tons. I, I'm thinking right now too about people who are in the position of being like they are the reluctant partner. They're maybe opening and they're still in their first few months or few years, even, but they're they were they're reluctant and and yet they bought in, like they've decided that they're in. And yet there's a there's often not the same motivating factor, right? To so to stretch into, okay, I need more tools. I need to figure this out. I I notice that a lot of people wind up told by I think very well-meaning counselors and therapists, well, you're in survival mode. So you, you know, this is just gonna be really hard and just just focus on staying safe. And I I have to push back on that. I like mm-hmm. y- like, yes, in the super immediate sense, there is a survival. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about people who are into their months and years, I'm really stressed by the idea that somebody is trying to hold still and and like and grit and bear it, or the idea that relying on some sort of external sense of safety versus, say, 
um, asking for really specific co-regulation practices to be baked, like get, get freshly folded into the mix of my relationships. Like maybe we didn't have co-regulation. Maybe we didn't have intentional dating. Maybe we never had clear, explicit relationship agreements. Maybe we mm -hmm. never even really had to come home at a specific time. Like maybe we never had to communicate about when we were going to be anywhere. And yep. all of those things could now be on the table in order yep. to create safety. And so when I hear people being told like, well, you're in survival. So just like, you know, just stay safe. I know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I push back on that too. I, I, that, and like even another, an even worse one that I will hear is like, are you sure that that it's for you? Like, is that your intuition telling you that yeah. this isn't the right choice for you? Yeah. And I have this conversation with people a lot, both personally and professionally of like, is it your intuition? Is it societal programming? Is it past trauma? Because like your all of these are going <laughs> to <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, literally, your therapist sitting in a room asking you week after week. Yep. Right. Sure, this is the right Projecting choice for you. Projecting their biases and whatnot. So, yeah. and, and I'm happy to call in everybody. Like, I have a clinical degree too. I do not practice as a licensed professional, but like we were not trained to do this unless we sought yep. out specific specific training. And then we have to still have to unpack our personal stuff. Me too. So we'll have to unpack mm -hmm. our personal stuff. And so we could be the voice in their ear. Yeah. Asking them that question. So right. societal yeah. conditioning, parental conditioning as we were, when we were children and the actual help that we're seeking yeah, can reinforce this idea. And now, now we have another niggling idea that it might just not be for us. Yeah. And especially when someone who we perceive as like knowing uh, better in some cases, which let me just like clear that up. No therapist knows better. No, we're just people. Just, yeah, it's, just, it's, people. just people. Like if, if your therapist is giving you vibes of like, I know better than you about you, like fuck off. Right. <laughs> no, like absolutely not. Um, but yeah, it's it's reinforced over and over again. And so many of us have have trauma and like that pops up and it's like, well, of course, I feel safer when it, the things that are surrounding my trauma aren't being touched. Like, right. yeah, yeah right. Uh, and, obviously. And healing trauma is a thing, an actual thing. Yeah. Yeah, and that, exactly. That gets me. I mean, my, I, I mean, I think I talk about this so much, but I, I often have clients mentioned that they've never heard it. So I think it's something that bears repeating is like my trauma healing is largely through my non-monogamy, like mm -hmm. through it, like mm -hmm. as the, mm -hmm. as the impetus, it's not mm -hmm. that being non-monogamous has done a damn thing to heal anything. It's that putting myself into this paradigm shift and then showing up to do the work week after week, day after day has introduced so many opportunities to recognize where I was, I was gritting my teeth and, and just bearing my trauma, but where I also was playing out my trauma patterns and relationships over and over and over again, under the guise of, I'm just anxiously attached and like, just, and like never making any movement on that because it's just my label. And now I've identified with my label mm -hmm. and I don't, nothing happens. So totally. I said, I take a finding Nemo approach to them. Like, well, if nothing ever happens to you, nothing right. will ever happen to you. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And, 
you know, I mean, it's not, it's not pain-free. It's, it's not, but at the same time, like, I don't want to, I don't want to skip out yeah. on being alive and actually achieving my healing. If, if that's something that could be achieved, like doing the things that will move me in that direction. There's a yeah. talking about roots to safety and there's a, um, a thing that I heard somewhere, uh, a ship in port is safe, but that's not what ships are for. Yeah. 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 Uh, safety is good to, you know, to have a place to go, but living there, it's not what I want. Yeah. That's right. not what I'm for. And right. so that means that I have to step out and the, the healing is there too. Cause the safety is important for healing, but there's not a lot of movement when you're safe. Right. So, and healing is movement. So it can be hard to get, make big gains and in this, that very safe spot. And this is where we could talk about like having somatic practices to yeah. be able to come mm. home to yourself, having co-regulation mm. practices to come back to yeah. your partners and being able to resource, like, yeah. like being yeah. well resourced, being held in community, all of those things. So, yeah. Okay. So Rachel, I could literally talk to you for the rest of yes. time and it, that would be just fine. Yeah. Apparently um, there is no end to this, nor would I want there to be. Instead though, I think you should tell everyone where they can follow you and find you for more. Cause everybody's going to want to, if they aren't already. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I could talk forever to both of you. Um, my Instagram is the right underscore Rachel, right with a W R I C H E L. Uh, my website is Rachel, right. NYC.com. And my podcast is the right conversations. I love the right conversations. I have enjoyed it so much. So I hope that everybody pops over to listen. There are some amazing, amazing conversations happening there. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This has been great. So wonderful. So wonderful. There's no one right way to design your relationship. And lots of people, actually about 25%, according to a recent national survey, are interested in some type of open relationship. But how do you know if you are ready to open up happily? Not everyone is, and that's no problem. I've got a 60-second quiz that will give you the answer. And even better, you'll walk away with your next step, whether you're good to go or not so much when it comes to opening up. And this is no BuzzFeed nonsense. I personally designed this quiz from my years of academic research. Go to joliquiz.com. That's J-O-L-I-Q-U-I-Z.com and find out if you're ready to open up happily and what to do if you are or if you're not.